Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. This is episode 22, part two, with Daniel Fong, founder and former CEO of Million Dollar Baby. So happiness to me, again, is not a goal. That means the pursuit of happiness is a myth to me. Happiness is a result. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So let me ask you this, Daniel, what is your big why of your company beyond profits? Like how does MDB create value for society? Uh, so it's back to love thy neighbor, excellence through night. So we want to create beautifully designed products. Um, I would say that we revolutionized the whole industry by creating really beautiful cribs because it used to be, you know, a crib is a crib, right? You can say that only as four sides, and then a mattress inside. Um, we revolutionized the design whereby we bring really, really good aesthetics um, into the, the whole, whole industry. At the same time, we have the strongest safety record. For the longest time, we were the only company that had zero recall. And even the few recalls that we have are all, I would say, technical and sometimes political. But we have the safest track record, and that's what we want to do. We want to provide... Because you know, uh, really, really safe products for all the babies. And and I can I want to interject here because I've seen your work and I've seen the products that you're putting out. Right. And they are unusual. They're not normal. It's not four sides and and like you said, a mattress. Right. I mean, they're they're works of art, and and that's what caught my attention. And I could see why people would be drawn to that because you know it's it's like anything in life, right? I mean, this is a beautiful thing that you've brought into the world, and you're putting it into this beautiful piece of furniture that that you at Billion Dollar Baby have created. So I could see why that would be such a compelling uh, reason for people to purchase your product. Yeah. And, and I really did enjoy it. Um, and and so I, that's just one angle, uh, Dan. Uh, you talk about the overall, what you mentioned about you know, profits and whatever, that, that, that I want, that's a part of another, uh, in terms of talk that I talk, uh, that I actually, in the company that I do that, and I'm actually doing some coaching to other people about that, that for me, profit, it's, part, it's, it's a result. It's not a goal. Uh, so, so my talk is about milestones and goals and how the, a lot of companies allow people live lives mistaking using results, milestones as goals. For example, profit is not a goal. Even though a lot of people think that you know, a company, the whole sole purpose, I guess Milton Friedman actually talked about that, is generating profit for the shareholder. At Million Dollar Baby or myself, I don't believe that that's the case. Now, does that mean that profit is not important? No. Profit is a validation. That means when we love God, we love our neighbor through our excellence, the result would be a profitable company, a well-loved company, and a very growing company. And that's what Million Dollar Baby is. But we don't you know, set our profit, you know, how much money we need to make, whatever. We go out and at first we take out our employees. We want to create a really, really incredible environment that is second to none. That's really what we, that's our excellence. We want to create an excellent, not the perfect environment, but at the same time, we want to provide excellent product, 
our customers. We want them to also dealing with us as a spectacular experience. And that is what Million Dollar Baby is known now in the industry. Okay, my daughter is the chief of sales. And she said her goal is to be the number one call for any customer, right? Her call is not that we're going to be the biggest in sales, we're going to be worldwide, more profitable. Usually in sales terms, that should be the case, right? How much money that we, we need to be the biggest. We don't want to be the biggest. Uh, if, if it happens to be the biggest, that's a milestone. We don't set our goal to be the biggest industry or certain, certain really uh, sales goals. We really don't set that. We just want to be. So my daughter said, okay, the first call, that's what I want. So you, you can see how that cascades down to a whole set of different, different ways of working with the customer. And right now, I'm telling you, because we just came back from our biggest trade show in Dallas, Texas, the ABC uh, Baby Show. I, I'm telling you that all the customers are saying, we, you are my first call. They're coming to the booth, and they want to work with us. Yeah, and, and, and let's talk about that for a second, because you brought that up. Now, you didn't groom your kids to be part of the business. You didn't force them into this. No. And, and, and so they did come in, though. And so what made Tracy in 2004 and Teddy in 2006 decide they wanted to join the family business? Okay. In fact, not only that I don't want them in the business, I actually you know, make two very deliberate statements. I said, I understand um, growing up in a family you know, with, with a parent that has their own business, there's a lot of pressure to assume that you have to join the family business because that's, especially in Asia, all business are family business. So uh, I'm sensitive because I work in the family business and I ended up doing things on my own, right? So I said, I encourage you all to follow my footsteps, just do all your own thing and find, find whatever excites you and don't feel that there's a pressure to come, to come to work. And so this is when they were teenagers, when they were teenagers very, very early on. And I also said the flip side is also true. And just because your last name is Fong does not mean that when you graduate, you just mosey into the company and then have a VP <laughs> title automatically. I mean, you're welcome to, but you need to start from the bottom, whatever. So I made those two statements very early on. So I just want to set the stage. Uh, how Tracy got into the business was, was because of my wife Marianne's sickness. She got colon cancer in 2004, just um, the year when Tracy graduated from Harvard. And so she actually got a job in New York City, I think, working for, uh, for art gallery, because I think she, she, I believe that she really likes art. So uh, Marion got sick and had an operation right around graduation. So at that time, you're talking about 2004, that's uh, 13 years ago, our company was, was much smaller than where we are. And Marion was, and I was still very active, and Marion was the talent management, right? So that's another term that um, I claim that I should have trademarked it. Let's see. Point, uh, Love 27 that. years ago. I do not believe that human are human resources, that our employees are human resources. So right from the beginning, we have a talent management department, and Marion was ahead of that. Because everybody that comes in is a talent, and we manage them just like Hollywood movie stars. <laughs> Love that. But that's why we have talent. And I know that now this term is becoming a little bit more popular, and, I'm, uh, and that's just the way that we looked at uh, how we treat our employees. So Marion was very active in terms of that because, as you can see, there's a big part of our company and there's a lot of details that we... So she's sick, she's recuperating, and, and I just... Tracy was available, and I said, Tracy, can you just come in for three months at this stop? Because it was a, it was a sudden uh, sort of type of situation with Marion. We didn't find out. We were very young. She's very young. You know? 
things like that don't happen to a young woman. So I asked Tracy to step in just for three months. I said, delay employment or moving uh, your, your work at, at New York if you can. Can you help out just for three months so that I can hire someone and just sort of get this over with? Um, so Tracy agreed right away. Um, she'll, she'll come in. And then uh, she never left. She said she, she fell in love with the business also. <laughs> and it's, it's really funny. So she really, she wanted to stay. And then the good thing about that is also I heard from all the existing employees at that time that the first day she walked in, the way that she carried herself, the way that she thinks, she asked questions and she worked, it's a breath of fresh air. Everybody loved her. And so, so Tracy has been there for now uh, 13 years. So, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because they also help lead the diversification of, of Million Dollar Baby right. into Million Dollar Baby family because you've now – changed kind of the way you do business and the type of products that you have. Um, were they instrumental in that? Was that their idea? So, so yeah. Um, so that you can see that how I need to do some adjustment because based on the statement that I made to them before is that you're not required to come to the business, uh, during the family business or you're not, you know, just automatically come in at, at, high, at, a, at a VP level or something. Uh, but because of tra- the experience, of the incredible experience of working with Tracy, and how the whole company responded, I decided that I'm going to recruit Teddy, who's two years behind Tracy at Harvard. Um, Because I said, wow, it's nice to actually uh, work with smart people. That's really what I come into. And then, of course, as a family member, uh, by working with Tracy, there's some added added pleasure uh, out of that. But I did not want to go back to my own words as if I want to. I want to force them into the business. And so I did a normal recruiting job. Um, spring uh, spring uh, break, uh, senior year, um, Teddy. And not only I brought Teddy out, I brought uh, two of his, uh, I think, no, one was a roommate, another was a friend, uh, to Harvard, uh, who's also graduating, out as potential recruits. So I did the thing. I flew them out. I showed them around the company, I talked to them about the strategy, and then I made an offer. And so this is the different part of it that I know is very different from traditional Chinese factories that you expect your children to come in and work in slave salaries or basically peanuts. And somehow there's a benefit because this is family business. So I can't do that because, well, I didn't do that with Tracy. I can't do that when I'm recruiting potential another two Harvard graduates who are friendly with Teddy. So I have to basically do whatever is right for the market, and all three of them actually joined the company. And so, so that really changes the whole dynamic of the company. Now I have these young people that are really, really uh, educated and smart. And so how I'm going to manage them and what to do with them, right? So um, I, by nature, is a very likes to delegate a lot. I believe. So my, my talk is the following, is that um, if I'm going to do everything that my employee is doing, then I don't really need, I should not be hiring employees. Yeah, you can do it all yourself, right? right? I can do it all right. So, so I said, the fact that I'm not doing much and you are doing all the work is exactly why I employed you. But just because I'm not, I see me that I'm not doing your work, I'm not doing any, uh, doing different things, does not mean that I'm not working. Um, so, so that's, that's uh, so I like to delegate. I like to delegate by nature. And, and, of course, the new team from Harvard, 
they're all very, you know, they all have a lot of initiative and they, they just they just take the company into a whole different way. And I allowed them to do so because I, I think that's the best way to train someone is to let them to do their thing. And it, to a certain degree, I was like that when I was young. Uh, when I was working for my father, I liked to try new things. And part of the frustration... And did he let you do it? No, my, my father was okay, but my father's partner was not okay. So that was the first sort of, and that really is the underlying reason why I ended up leaving the company. So, and you were able to right that wrong with your own company. So let me ask. So, so, and and talk to me about this for a second because in twenty, it was two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, you passed the CEO uh, torch to to Teddy. Right. And let's talk about that for a minute because that was probably an interesting scenario. And and there was a time, and you, you you said this that at some point you figured out that you were like a seagull swooping in, crapping all over everything, and then leaving. That was, I believe, what an outside consultant told you. Right, right. Um, so how did you change that, and and was that a tough transition? I would say let me. I mean, I, I asked uh, Teddy, my son, about that, and I think he 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 quoted that uh, in the Ink magazine as that it's actually more caution to me rather than actually I was doing that. I think uh, you met Richard Carr, right? Richard has been a really longtime friend, and I think he was cautioning me that when you uh, when you start the delegation or the the delegation process, you can't be a seagull. I'm not sure whether I was a seagull, so that's why you have to talk to Teddy regarding whether I was really a seagull or not. I, I think I tried very hard not to do that. Um, we need to roll back the the story a little bit of how Teddy became a CEO in the first place at a, such a young age, and why am I doing that? So um, it's all started out with, uh, with family meetings. Um, as you mentioned, there's a lot of family members that work in the company. Uh, I have my brother-in-law who started with me, who's the CFO. He started in sales. He was the first salesperson for the company in the beginning. And then he Your sister, there. Julia, right? She's vice president of talent also? Excuse me? Your sister, Julia, she's also? She was actually more operation. And then Shao, she's now the talent management. And then your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law. Right, right. So, um, so when there's a lot of company, uh, family members working in the company, uh, just like I'm not saying that just because they're family members, there are more issues. There are issues anyway with, with any company. But because of my desire to glorify God for excellence, the last thing I want is to have a fighting family in front of all the employees, right? That would be the most hypocritical thing that I can do for my faith and for my, my company. So, um, so I said, I decided, I said, this is all these really strange thoughts that come to my mind, that we need to have a venue whereby we family members can talk about these things outside of the company. And then when we are in the company working, we're one united front. We don't fight in front of our employees, right? But I can't assume or, uh, that our company is so loving, everybody is so always in, at, at par with each other. That's just a, another myth. So, so that's the first thought that we have to have a meeting just to, so that our family can act, behave excellently, gloriously in front of all our... Well, wait a minute, wait, I'm not going to let you pass that by for a second. Right. So, so how often does that meeting happen? So you, there's actually... Quarter, every quarter. Every quarter you have a family meeting where you can discuss... Right. But the beauty of, opportunities of that also is that for, I think it's through my me, uh, readings and I guess really studying a lot of things is that I, I realized that I should not be the chair of that. And I asked Richard... Uh, who's who, uh, who, who's running the tech uh, the Vistage Group for now? Who's a longtime friend to come in to to run the family meetings because he ha- he he's, he's my mentor 
and he knows the family well, right? So the children grew up with him, and my family knows him very well. And he's authority in terms of coaching and mentoring of business, uh, right, worldwide at the Vistage. So he managed that meeting, and I'm telling you that I cannot give enough credit to how important that meeting is. How without that, we are just, you know, we're just fooling ourselves that we are we have a really great family working together. And by the way, Richard is a Vistage chair who does the inside group. And for those of you who don't know, that's where um, the, the, the the actual Vistage group is just the family company or it's just the company itself. So it's right. not a bunch of CEOs or a bunch of leaders. It's literally just that company. But go back to that decision. Why did you say you shouldn't be the leader of that meeting? Um, because then... Then it will be all about me, right? It's uh, and then it will be because of my authority and my position. It will be difficult for family members to be honest with each other. That was an assumption. I had never tried it, but that was the assumption. And I think you. There's, I think there are books out there, there, there that talks about these things. So I think I must have read. I mean, I'm a ferocious reader, so all these things are just stewing in the back of my mind. And somehow I felt that 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 needs to be done. So that's just a way of preventing. Disaster, and I think it just worked out really well when Richard chairs. So I'm a participant rather than I'm running the show. Right. So I'm just as much equal to everybody, and it takes a while. You know, it takes a while to to create to to get everybody to buy into that this is a really safe environment, and I think that's why I think Richard's role is very important, and it worked for our company. No, I, and now for our family. I can see and that. From and his, per- his personality is perfect for that, too. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so, so, you know, Not only that, right now, actually, he has such a strong power in the whole company, whereby, because he runs the Vistage, uh, inside Vistage with the company, so he has a lot of respect with all the senior team. Not only senior team, you know that we actually include a lot of the other, you know, non-leadership team members into the training. And so that permeates the whole company in terms of continuous learning, continuous improvement. So one of the things that when Teddy, as a CEO now, really get into a difficult uh, discussion with, with this team about, you know, what to do, you know, because he has a strong team that sometimes will push back on him, right? Is that, that oh, you're the CEO, that doesn't mean that you can tell us to do it. So sometimes uh, Teddy will use this trump card. Uncle Richard said this, <laughs> and then everybody starts to be quiet. <laughs> he has approved. He's, yeah, he approved, and then everybody's kind. He thinks it's so the best. So after about two, about two years of running the family business, out of the blue one day, when we were we usually have the meeting in the morning, and we the whole family and Richard would go out for lunch, and on the way to lunch, I, I don't not know, I cannot explain these got things that I, 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 I do, like, like have somehow come up with the family meeting, somehow identifying Richard to be the chair. I just blurted out. I said, uh, what happens if I want to not be coming in for a day-to-day? And what happens if I want to just pass the CEO ship to someone else? What should I do? I just popped that out in, 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 in the car with my, uh, with, uh, with my brother-in-law, my sister, and Tracy and Teddy. And then, and then, and then myself. So uh, five of us. Actually, I think Richard was in the car. We were in a suburban, so it fit six people. I blocked that out, and it was like dead silence in the car. Right. So this is you're talking about. I'm I'm 59. So you're talking about five years ago or something, right? I mean, I'm I'm early in my early 50s. You know, Chinese patriot really don't think about these things and don't even talk about these things normally. So about that that silence, and the first person to 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 say something was my daughter, Tracy. She's older. She's older than uh, Teddy. Tracy said, let Teddy go first. 
That's her first statement. And then immediately following that, both my daughter, uh, my sister, and uh, and uh, and brother-in-law said that is not ready. So it's like within a few seconds when I, you know, that's that's sort of like a little consensus that that went on. So so we have a, having lunch, and then basically a two-year program to get Teddy ready was the family decision out of that car ride. So that's wow. that. I would say that's another God's blessing and divine appointment that somehow he was leading the whole thing. And so the whole family was behind that. And then I made an announcement in the Friday, Friday quarterly meetings. And then uh, we were just going through all the transition and training. And um, it was first it was announced. Then I, I, I announced a year later that Teddy is the co-CEO. And then in one of the Vistage meetings, a year later, you know how everybody gets around to introduce themselves, remember? Yes, yeah? yes. And so for, for all these meetings, for the past meeting, uh, Teddy has always introduced himself as a co-CEO. And then that meeting, he introduced, himself as, uh, he introduced himself as the CEO. And everybody just laughed and caught that. And then I said, okay, I think maybe it's time. It's, it's the right time for him to be the CEO. So you talked about those two years. So, I mean, now I have to know, like, what... The family decides he needs a two-year preparation period. Yeah. What went into those two years? What what helped him prepare for that? Well, um, I think particularly Teddy was a was a big uh, picture thinker. He 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 needs to learn about working in the details, you know, getting things done and stuff like that. And that was so. Uh, those two years, he actually needs to chair. Uh, because before that, he was, I think he was in the, uh, in the production, in the warehouse team and all, working on that, driving forklifts. Uh, and and um, then he went to head uh, uh, the various departments, uh, the inventory team, the QC team, and, uh, and all that. He just go rotate. I mean, it, it, a while ago, and the company changed. So I, I don't remember the details, but I remember he rotate in terms of, uh, of, of managing different teams. Yeah. And so, you know, it goes back to that whole leadership part you talk about. And, and and I say you talk about, but you don't, because when I was at your company, and hopefully you remember this, I was talking about leadership. Right. And you told me you don't even like the word leadership. I don't, yes. And you, 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 you know, why did you say that to me? Can you explain that to my listeners? Yes. Uh, actually, this is also very clear in the company, too, because I actually uh, talked about that. The reason for me is right now is that the the it's a reaction to the overselling of leadership in the whole American society and in business. And I, I, just, I just don't think it's healthy for our company to embrace that. And there are other issues uh, that is pop culture that uh, if we have time, we can talk about it. Because my role right now, I call myself the teacher. And uh, I found that there's a lot of pop culture, popular things that's happening in the world that we have to think through. And this is part of the deliberateness. And, and it affects the company too. So we need to, I, I want to, because I have the time to go travel the world and, and read a lot of stuff and observe a lot of stuff, that I need to bring back all these reality and, and say, okay, that's what the world is doing. This is what other companies are doing. But our company is different because of this, and so we will be doing something different. So the leadership issues for me is the following, is that, is that it separates, it separates, uh, it creates hierarchy, uh, particularly in terms like the what they call the leaders and the followers. And right now in the American culture, everybody wants to be a leader. And it's as if there's something wrong with being a follower. Right now, it's, 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 it's being permeated to teenagers, the summer camps, they call super camps. It's all 
leadership training. And, and the talk about you know, applying to universities or even applying to really good boarding schools, right? you have to show yourself that you are a leader. So the problem for me is that if, if the whole world is our leaders, who's going to do all the work? And from a theology standpoint, Jesus Christ was a servant. I mean, she, he preached servanthood. Servanthood, is, you can say that it's an inverted pyramid, whereby, okay, the, the leader is actually in the bottom, bottom, and that's sort of the same concept. But I said, if that is the case, why, why use the word leadership? Because there's a word called servanthood. So in our company, we promote and I teach servanthood. And that's the attitude about love, that, love thy neighbor. It's very consistent to that. It's that it's not about us, about me. It's about all the people are surrounding us. So if you are a team lead, or I would call a team captain, you, know, you, you're, you're, you should care about your team members. And that really is how you express the love thy neighbor part of it. And it's not about how, uh, how I am being a, better, a good leader. And also, that is also part of the milestones and goal talk. To me, leadership is a word. Leadership is someone that you describe another person. That means you can describe me as a good leader. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to, I can't stop that because it's your opinion about me. But when I tell you that I'm a great leader, I have a lot of problems with that. And I'm saying I'm executing, I'm practicing my leadership skills, then you are not practicing leadership skills. That's really my theology, my philosophy. Because it's a, I can have a, I, it's a little bit longer than that. I have research to back that up. Um, so what I'm talking about, I want to talk about servanthood. That really is what, how I said anyone can express uh, love thy neighbor. So Daniel, Does that make sense? absolutely it does. And, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate you clarifying that for me and my listeners. But I, I, can you tell me a story in your life when you weren't leading well? Because I mean, you said yourself, there's no perfect. Yeah. You know, how did you come to realize it? What were the symptoms, uh, you know, of less than ideal leadership or servanthood? Uh, tell me about that time. Hmm. That's not how I work. That's not how I think. And, um, because every, every mistake, right, uh, I have is a learning opportunity for me. I, I, I count that those as blessings. And if I upset certain one, I'm very, very willing to apologize and to, and to discuss. I don't, I don't fight. I don't defend myself, so to speak. I mean, I don't think that's, that's, uh, that is effective. It's that even, even if I'm not wrong, say, for example, but the perception of the person that's saying that, it's real. So why fight that, right? Why try to justify that? So, so I really don't really keep track of all the stuff um, that, that, I, that I think is I, I was bad or was a bad leader or was a bad servant. I really, I really can't. I mean, I don't really put that down. And, and so I'm sorry I can't really answer that question. Well, no, and, and I think because that's a, a great way. Because it's improvement all the way. I mean, I'm always, you can say that I, if that's the case, you push me as that I'm still a bad servant leader right now. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still learning. I mean, there's still things I can do better. No, I think it's a great way to look at life. And I think that, you know, all of us make mistakes and we choose to beat our heads against the wall and right. focus on the negative or we move forward and, like you said, chalk it up to a learning opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think that I was I was doing an interview um, and this I asked this guy, you know, you're so successful. How did you get there? And he said, I look at life different. He said, you know, the easy thing when you get home and things go wrong is to get angry. The, when things go wrong at work to get angry. The tough one, the difficult side, the different side is to find the teachable moment. And I think that's what you're saying, Daniel, is, is that you're not only for yourself but for others always constantly, continually looking for that teachable moment. 
and uh, for yourself and everybody around you. And yeah, that's, yeah. That's where the the investing in others comes through. And 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 I could feel that when I was at your company. I loved it. I mean, I felt like I was walking into this brain trust in that room of you know Harvard and Wharton, you know, all these successful business school graduates, but then have taken all that knowledge, that great knowledge, and turned it into something successful. So so let me ask you this because I, I want to stay on people for a minute. No, I want to. No, I want to piggyback on that because if my my, my team is listening, I, I want them to. To, to hear it from me that I really appreciate what you said. And then uh, the last visit speaker also said the same thing. He, he mentioned about the brain trust and stuff. He said, usually when people are smart, they're not very nice. And he said that you guys made me feel so warm, you know, that's an, you know that you guys are so nice. It's just a really, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. And I, I, I would like, and I would like acknowledge my company and my employees that they are really, really special group of people. No, and you can feel that. And so since we're talking about people, like if, if – if, and I know this is kind of hard, but I just want you to think about it for a second. What is the one trait that you look for in your top people? Like if you had to – I know there's a lot, but if you had to kind of narrow it down to kind of one trait that you look for, what would it be? Curiosity and the insatiable appetite to learn. I love that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Right. So, so that goes through you – know, so that, you know, while you ask the question, I'm just you know, really processing it. This about strongly – acknowledging that we're not perfect and we're not trying to be perfectionists. I mean, I think that really needs to be emphasized because there's so many people are so proud that they call themselves a perfectionist, right? Uh, I, 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 I bless them, but this is not what we believe in. And the whole thing about not being perfect, but being willing to willing to learn is that we're always at a, and I, like today is the worst that I can be because I'm always trying to be better, Right. So that means we're never very really satisfied. So we, and then at the same time, we don't beat ourselves to death because we are just not. It's a realization. It's just a psychological position to put us in a position that we are weak. We're not that strong, but we all could always be better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and, and I love the curious. So we don't really the curious side kill ourselves because, yeah. when we make the mistake because we just we, our attitude is always looking forward and say, "Great, okay, now I'm, I have more things to to do, more things to improve, more things to learn," and that excites us rather than beat us to death. And also, if you're curious, then you're going to constantly be looking for a better way, a new way, an innovative way. And by the way, not just on the per- professional side, but on the personal side, a new beach to explore, a new desert to search, you know, or to find and, 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 and enjoy. And right. so, I, so I love Continuous that. learning yeah, is the love goal. That. And actually, the result, which is the milestone, while you talk about it, is to me, is happiness. So happiness, to me, again, it's not a goal. That means the pursuit of happiness is a myth to me. Happiness is a result. And my encouragement to people is that when you are learning, you're learning. When you're really enjoying learning and, and uh, the, the result actually, the description is actually happiness. I think people should think a little bit deeper about what I just said. No, absolutely. So, so and, and go back to this for a second because, okay, you've, you've been able to create this great company and you're growing like crazy, and you've got family members involved, and you, I'm sure there's times of reflection. Yeah. What What advice would you give to your 20 year old self, and why? Yeah, I, I saw that question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer. I've been thinking about that um, because, again, from that standpoint, that means if I can redo over, right? Like I do a do over, would I would it be different? And and based on what I look back at my life, I think I have been blessed and I actually question why God is giving me so much um, but the answer to that of course when God gives me a lot I will have to give back a lot 
which I'm trying to do uh, every day of my life. Um, no, I don't really look at it. I think it, ha- it has been a really, really, uh, I mean, um, a life of, of, of fullness that I have. Um, there's a lot of stories. Uh, my parents are not with me. Uh, um, and so, so that can be a tragedy uh, to some people because all, a lot of my friends still have their parents uh, well and, and healthy. Uh, so I miss them. So that could be, but I, I really don't look at life that way. So I, mean, I, I would not, I would probably would say that continue what I do then if I'm looking at, looking at myself at 20, at 20, because I have done a lot, I mean, I have a, a good story up till 20 years old already. Um, and, and I think that was, it was just a continuation of my childhood that hasn't changed. Some so people the, may say that I still haven't grown up yet. So then, yeah, <laughs> and hopefully we never do, right? I mean, yeah. so then, so then, what would you give advice to to other twenty year olds? No, really, continuous learning. Just don't, don't, don't be so uh, adamant about what you know at this moment. Okay, uh, about your background, whatever, and and to be so stubborn about certain beliefs and values. Um, so this goes back to the, the the encouragement of learning is that in in a way the reality is that all of us has an invisible a, a glass or a barrier that surrounds us that we most people actually are not aware of and inside that barrier is what we know we know and what we know we do not know right. It's conditioned by our childhood, by our education, by our parents, by the friends that we have, by the work experience. So within that, we know. But then actually I said the first thing is that we have to realize, which I, in my encounter with many people, they don't really realize there's such a limitation, right? They think that you know, they know what they know, and actually a lot of people think that's enough. And they, they know what they do not know because they chose not to know that, right? Hmm. That, that those are not important. They, they don't interest them. and that. That's enough in their life. But actually, the reality is that there's, there's what's outside of that invisible barrier is what we do not know we do not know. And that realm is so exciting to me. It's that, but somehow, or naturally, based on my DNA, I was like that when I was growing up. I mean, I just love to explore new things, whatever. But I found that that is a barrier to a lot of people, especially young people. And, and with pop culture these days, it's as if there are certain ways of living a, a, a successful life. You know, these are, that's why I'm talking about these classes on leadership. You do these 10 things, you do whatever, you know. So, so, so that's very dangerous because there's really not a formula for that for me because the, what we do not know, do not know is still to be discovered. And so that's why I want to encourage everybody to really, really start learning. And the first most practical thing is reading. Now, which is also a struggle for a lot of people. But I said, most people, most authors write one book a, a their lifetime, right? And it costs you maybe $10 on Amazon, but you get the lifetime essence of a person in one, in one sitting, in one book, so $10. If you can do that every week, 52 weeks is $520, and you read 52 lifetimes of stories. Imagine how much you can learn from that. So do you, Those do, are not the things that you can... I mean, sure, you can go figure it out yourself, but I said, why? Why do you need to figure these things out yourself? So what do you have a, a, a favorite book or two that you suggest? I have, well, I, no. I think, I think um, 
in my, <laughs> in my, uh, I buy a lot of books to begin with, just uh, based on recommendation, whatever. And then how I read them, I would say again, is divine appointment. It seems like somehow, whenever I needed something, and uh, the, the 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 things just magically happened. The right book just happened to be there. I just think just start. Always take the first step. Just take the first step. You start reading one book, then you go on, and then you know find different subjects. Talk to a lot of people. There's so many recommendations out there. So um, so 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 I really I really recommend that. I mean, I won't I won't want to just pigeonhole one book for, for anyone at this moment. So Daniel, I, I ask the audience to answer the question when I speak, you know, how do you want your children to describe you to their children? And I say, I don't, I don't care what they would say, you know, what would you want them to say in your wildest fantasy? What would you want your legacy to be? So Daniel, in that wildest fantasy, how would you want to be described? Yeah, uh, I would, I would uh, want to be described that my dad is a serious follower of Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. See, that's the that that actually has a lot of. I would not say that's a lot of uh, stuff in there. Um, in, in the, under the le- subject of legacy, and that is why the transition to Teddy in our company, I would say, is legendary. Um, um, it's just unique because I know a lot of families. I know a lot. Nobody does it this way, and the the whole thing is that because the legacy word for me has different meaning. It's not about my legacy. It's all about Jesus Christ's legacy. And when someone can let go of their own legacy, I think you are, you are looking at a whole different world. Does that make sense, Dan? I think you understand what I mean. No, no, and I do. And I, and I see in just in that statement, you know, that that shows that you love, that you serve, that you give, that yeah. you care, all of these things wrapped up, and you do that on a day-to-day basis through your quest for excellence. And I, and I appreciate that, Daniel, more than you could ever yeah, know. Yeah, and in the end, it's never about me. So that's why it's not about the legacy. It's not about my leadership. Does that make sense? It's, it, it should flow through consistently of the message today. Daniel, it not only makes sense, I saw it live out when I met your company, when I met your family. I mean, it was just such an incredible experience. I went home. I talked about it. I'm talking about it now. And so I just want to say this. You know, I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen today. Thank you for first letting me uh, help you invest in your people at Million Dollar Baby. You were great, by the way. (laughs) They're still talking about you. You were awesome. I I thank you for saying that, and I certainly enjoyed it. But I also want to thank you for investing in my audience and, and, you know, with some great advice and insight into leadership and leading a family business really, really well. So, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you, Dan. Listeners, we are also working on some other fun, exciting things coming from the Quiggle Group, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, though, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Garage to Goliath. Subscribing helps others find the show in iTunes. Please also leave an honest review. That's how I get better and make this better for you. And I'd be so grateful to you if you'd share this podcast with others on social media. Send a quick email to someone you think would enjoy it. Just let me get the word out so we can continue to build our leadership legacies together. 